How has COVID impacted our connection with one another? This is what I discussed this week with Emma Gibbons, who based on her previous work as a political campaigner, now holds space for deeper searching conversations on a range of topics. In this exploratory and emerging conversation, we got into boundaries, how social media has impacted the relationship between community, market and governance, government. It questions the underlying structure of many assumptions that we connect upon. And we also consider how connection will differ, particularly for countries like the US and the UK, as opposed to WA here, as we come out of COVID. Emma is obviously a bright and passionate lady, which really produced a hugely thought-provoking conversation. A conversation that certainly gave me much to consider in the days after it. So enjoy, Emma. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. Today I have the great pleasure of speaking with Emma Gibbons. Emma, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> this is my first podcast interview, by the way, so is this is right? it's a good, good good time to give it a crack. For some reason, I thought you might be a pro at this stuff. Yeah, me too. We'll see how it goes. There you go. <laughs> so, um, I spoke to you a couple of days ago and said, hey, where do you think we should start? And your response to that was, how COVID has impacted our connections, both internally and externally, which I thought would be a fantastic place to start a conversation. So do you want to frame us up as to where that came from? Well, yeah, I mean, um, I think it's, uh, as I prefaced before I said, there's more questions than answers, so yes. let's explore. Um, I think... Um, externally, we can see quite a lot of obvious changes in how people connect um, using Zoom for weddings and funerals and, um, you know, all types of ceremony and, and friendship and, you know, so using video platforms to connect in that way, in that, you know, external surface level way. Um, but then also like spending so much time alone, spending so much time in isolation without that external pressure of having to go out in society or be performing in a certain way. Um, I think it actually opened up a lot of people's, the opportunity for people to look within um, mm -hmm. and to find some space within. Um, and that has produced, I mean, there's things within myself and my internal workings and you know understanding how the world around me works and how I interact with it. I've definitely changed and I've seen a lot of my friends change as well. And um, you know, and there's a lot of different outputs in that, some of the, the outputs of that internal change, because I think largely like uh, if you change internally, you change how you participate externally and that collectively creates change, right? That's maybe a way to think about how the impact of that and what it could be. Um, but internally the changes, I mean, it's, it's um, a change in understanding the world around us. It's a change in, um, I think so much of Western culture, particularly is based around control, command and control, and the illusion of control was lifted when the pandemic hit. Mm. Um, and then also that creativity, um, that people left to their own devices are coming up with really creative and interesting things. The amount of YouTube YouTubers that we're seeing doing interesting and innovative things. I have friends writing poems who would never have thought to do that. Um, you know, and so it's just it's seeing this creativity bubble up as well has given me a bit of um, hope and excitement for what, you know, what humanity, I don't know. Because I feel like, uh, you know, we were going down a path, which was quite consumption, quite, you know, just consume, right? Consuming on my phone, consuming every day, consuming materials, searching for more, 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 more. Mm. Um, and COVID, I think, was a bit of a circuit breaker and perhaps some of that behavior. Mm. That went a lot of places, so. It did. Yeah. <laughs> it did indeed. Um, let's start with the consumption there, because mm. that was tied to what you saw or saw happening beforehand, mm. before the circuit breaker. I mean, there's obviously a consumerist capitalist framework and mm. ocean that we all swim in. But I think for me as well, um, the consumption of, 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 of content, of things, of information, mm. um, and that for me and other people around me, I think whilst we stayed at home with COVID, you know, during our stay, at, I call it a stay at home mm. period for us, you know, last year, um, that amped up consumption 
to the point where mm. to the point where I actually got last year um, consumption fatigue and now I have um, a stillness practice which some might say is a meditation practice but I would say it's a stillness practice where it is literally I sit eyes closed and I don't consume anything mm. thoughts may come and go and stuff like that set a timer but yeah Mm. Yeah, because you have to give your your mind a break. I mean, um, consumption fatigue is especially exhausting when the news is predominantly negative. Um, and so that certainly adds a layer to why people feel overwhelmed. But I think that's like driving to the creativity point. Like uh, we had a very short lockdown period, but like looking at my friends and family back in the States, if you're locked inside for 10 months for a year, yeah. like sure, you're going to scroll every Instagram page, every Facebook page, probably read every book in your house, but then what? You know, like it kind of... Um, I think everyone's sort of, you know, at the end of all of that journey, because yeah. you can only, you can pour so much into that, yeah. and then what? And then you go and watch Netflix, and then you've watched all of that. And then what? And then stand. And who and are then, you? Yes. And what lies within that? And what, what do you choose to do when mm. you have spare time? You know, like how often in the Western world do we not have enough time? We're running, again, like we're racing the clock in every single minute. And so to have spare time is like, oh, who am I? How do I use this? It's a choice about, who, yeah, again, like who you are. It's a kind of an interesting identity moment to come up across. Hmm. Or to continue plugging with more Netflix, Hulu, Stan, etc., drugs, alcohol, whatever, you know, maybe you can keep that thought at bay. But I hope that more people are courageously diving into it after feeling that fatigue and exhaustion. Hmm. Go on. I'd say you also just said the consumption of information. Um, I, well, I was going to take us on a dog leg to Facebook's news today. Have you f seen this? Yes. Yeah, yeah, cool. So today's the day where Facebook turned off the switch on all Australian, um, on Australian users of Facebook access to news information and ability to share um, and access news, right? And so the consumption of information um, just before Trump, uh, after the Capitol riots and before Trump was leaving office, so that kind of Jan 6th to 20th period in 2021, I was... Um, I was playing in my head like, hmm, I wonder if, I wonder if you could ban Facebook in the US. Like, I wonder what that would happen. Like, what would be, who, what would the ramifications be? What would happen in society? What would happen in our connections? How would we go back to how we organized and communicated before Facebook? Um, and so, you know, it was a fun thought experiment, but every person I've floated it with has gone like, <gasps> you know, like you take away Facebook. And so now to have Facebook do it to the Australian public and seeing the responses and, and news is just a tiny part. You still have events and family gatherings and photos and that significance in there. So it's been like a little part of that thought experiment has been tested in today's reaction. Um, and so in consuming information, in reacting to today's news, I don't know if it is good or bad things. It might help us get back to a bit of a more uh, common humanity, like a tenant of humanity, or like to, to a bit of slowness and pacing rather than, you know, misinformation and, and you, know, polar, mm. you know, polarizing and, yeah. Mm. As I listen to you and as I think about it, um, it feels like, yes, to, <clears throat> I think, one of the scariest, there were two really scary tenants that came out of watching the film Social Dilemma. <laughs> and one of them was that we naturally assumed that AI would come through the front door, i.e. the Terminator. Mm. But actually it comes through the back door, overcoming our human weaknesses. And... And... And therefore, if and Facebook and, and other such platforms have certainly done that, um, whereas where people are addicted, and if we use like the definition of addiction, like from Gabor Mate, you know, it's something that gives you temporary relief, but of which has further consequences and you cannot give up, mm. um, then these things are addictive. And therefore, you know, it, it's one of those things, you know, are, are we grown up enough to play with them? Mm. And one of the things I'm, I had a funny conversation with my old man the other day where we talked about 
the the lack of respect for authority is leaving us in a, in a bit of a pickle at the moment. Okay, we could say the government and authority has, hasn't exactly shone in years gone by with, um, you know, do, do we have leaders that actually lead or do we have um, politicians that carefully stay one step ahead of the polls mm. and do what the populist thing is? We saw that in the UK when we switched from the Tory government to the Tony Blair government and he was a big, first big user of focus groups and you could sense that all, all he was doing was giving the public what they wanted. So is that leadership or what? And there's a massive conversation there. Mm. But when we have things pop up like Facebook and things like that where we think that they start off and they're benign and we're, you know, we're exchanging mm. pictures and how am I going and then mm. connecting with like a dude I've not seen from school for 20 years. It's all lovely. But then when we start trading in human futures, which is the other scary tenant, when it's coming in through the back door, when your, your attention, your time on this mortal coil has become a commodity, mm. Where are the grown-ups that go, sorry, this is out of control? Mm. Yeah. Where um, have the grown-ups gone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. I love that. Who's the adult in the room? Um, and it happens Correct. in many complex organizations that I've worked with where there's no one being like, this is obviously the most strategic thing to do, yet everyone's going at it. Um, yeah. Oh, I had a thought of where it was going, and now I've totally lost it. Sorry. Um, you wrote something. I did, yeah, yeah. So I, um, yeah, um, sorry, my brain is, this is the part I warned you about doing too many meetings and now this is the part Indeed. that we give out. Um, but yeah, the, I think like when you said authority, what it sparked in me was like maybe the, oh yeah, here's where I was going. Yeah. So like, um, there's currently an interaction between the market, government, and the community, right? That's sort of how like the, the social, mm. how the social structure is currently. And when you talk about like Facebook coming in through the back door and being so dependent, or we, the community are being so dependent, it made me realize why the community's impact has shrunk. Like right now, community is being squeezed between government and, and the market and when corporate. When you say community, you mean? Public. Yes. Um, yeah, people. Yeah. Broadly. The, the, the commons. The commons. Um, and... Yeah, so it's interesting that like, so this community has been being squeezed for a really long time. Mm. Um, and so my, a lot of work I do is to empower people to find the power within themselves so that collectively we may have more power as community mm. to push back and flex, right? And that's come out of your background in political campaigning and yeah, things like that. Yeah, um, but it is, but you, and there's a tension you've been seeing, we've been seeing in the relationship between corporate and market where so much more of the government, or sorry, the government is giving up, um, uh, it's control in supporting community and like yes. more of that's going to philanthropic arms within corporate or corporate is servicing the greater public goods need but still is running in a corporate structure where the shareholder ultimately is the beneficiary yes. and so um, uh, so you've seen government getting weakened the market is taking over and it's interesting now with that Facebook I hadn't like I'm trying to think of like what is the relationship then is the community as the predominant users hmm. and the people who create the value for Facebook, do they have the power? Or is it Facebook, the corporate, that still has the power because they can pull off the, you know, they can, they can pull out the rug anytime? All right, let me do that again. Yeah, well, I'm just, yeah, this is, a, this, is, this is an in real time thought. Yeah. Um, if, if, if Facebook is coming in the back door and manipulating us into needing it, who actually holds the control? Is it the community as the main users? Because Facebook would be worth nothing if it had no users. Correct. Or is it Facebook because they own the platform that we're addicted to? This is, right. And this is exactly the same conversation I have when people bemoan um, the lack, the absence of a local fruit and veg shop because everybody's gone to Coles and Woolworths. Mm. And then, through my knowledge of working in the vegetable industry, when the supermarkets say to the growers, we need your capsicum to be beautifully presented like this, because this is what the consumer wants. Is it what the consumer wants, or is it what the consumer's been trained 
mm. to do? Or is it even further, is it what they've decided because now the consumer doesn't even know what they want because there is no other option because there is no other fruit and veg shop other than Coles and Woolworths mm. and other minor ones. You know, and it all comes down to a matter of convenience. So you've got this, you know, I mean, it, it's easy in both instances to say, <clears throat> well, you, the consumer, have the power because you can choose to A, delete Facebook, and then B, not shop at Coles and Woolworths. Mm. But we are now at a place where if you don't go to Coles and Woolworths, where do you go? And if you don't use Facebook, how do you connect? Mm. And then there's going to be that um, abyss point where you're like, oh, fuck, what do I do? Mm. I don't know. Now, there are creative solutions. There are creative solutions. Um, but it's, are you willing to stay in the, oh, fuck, mm. in the abyss and, and swim through? Or is it, all right, I'll come back. Mm. <laughs> A part of me is wondering if, because I also, Facebook has many advantages like the globalization and the connection and being able to collaborate and, and see things um, in much broader levels than just what you see yourself. I wonder if it'll be a thing where like Facebook was first out best dressed, similar how like Tesla's first out best dressed, but the rest of the industry will catch up to it eventually mm -hmm. and then Tesla will just become run of the mill because thing. other things, you know, other, other you know, yeah, electric yeah. vehicles have surpassed it. I wonder if, yeah, it's been, a, it's been you know, 13 years Facebook has been first out best dressed It's going to start acting like this. I wonder if there will be um, and there have been some attempts at social networks um, taking uh, being a competitor to Facebook, but I wonder if the if the if the there if the gap is like a, a community owned or open source collaborative platform mm. like Facebook or something. I don't know. I suppose those exist. Reddit is one for example, you know, very very user driven, very, mm. you know, collaborative and de democratic. You know, some of those other platforms but again I have the I am the consumer I can choose to go I guess the challenge for me mm. is that and this is probably inadvertently swinging it back to the original sort of thing about connections mm. <laughs> is that um, interacting online this may be triggering what I'm about to say for some. You are, you are interacting in an imaginary, mm. a collective imaginary, a digitized collective imaginary. Now, if we look at the ten, if we look at the the sort of the ten layers of community that start with self, then go to your first family, which is your mum and dad and sister, then it goes to your peer group, your mm. friends. Then it goes to your second family, which is your wife and your kids that you have. And then you go to your local community. So whether that's a sports club, the pub, the people you hang out with, the people that come, you know, mm. when they're real, they're real time. They can hold you to account. They know you, you have full on interaction with them. Once you go to the next part, which is nation states. And then when you get further beyond that into the cultural zone and then into universal principles, humanity and globe they are they are imaginary mm. um, yes we feel them through the systems and and the tax and things like that but it's still that exists because we buy into it whereas the community that are around us mm. and, and I've spent a bit of time reading about this actually through um, interacting with a previous guest Thomas Bjorkman and the Nordic secret um, so this is not to this is not to um, poo-poo the imaginary community. Mm. It's my concern is that thing, entities like Facebook have created imaginary community, which can give us access to um, wider global perspectives. That the challenge is: Are you, do you still have the real? grounded community around you from which to venture into that. I'm smirking because I don't think, I think your framework is, slightly, the framework is solid, but yeah. um, 
it's not that the that online offline operates at the outer and inner circles online actually exists from the center out yes um i only see my family through whatsapp and that's been that way for four years yes um i have um i don't but my there are friend there are stories of people who've been friends only online and met in person for the first time eight years later yeah. you know so i don't know if it's as much of a um i agree with the 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 levels of distance yes. from the individual but i don't know if online is strictly the rule like, um yeah. for the external and or is you, online the you thread. challenge that that's kind of interesting it's whether yeah. If anything, online has helped enable me to live in Australia for as long as I have because I can still connect to my family and share photos and call and email mm. as quick like, you know, it, it, is, it is another thread that strengthens mm. some of that. See, I, yeah, and it, it, it's fascinating when you watch films like, um, have you seen The Lost City of Z? No. And it's, Zombie movie? No. no okay, no, no. idea. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Not great at culture. (laughs) Anyway, it's it's about the guy who went off and and would would go and explore the Amazon in in you know the eighteen hundreds, nineteen hundreds, and he was part of the British Geographical Society, and he off he'd go and he'd chart stuff. But he'd be gone for three to four years at a time, Mm. right? And his wife would only receive like the odd letter. Is he coming back? No idea. You know, know? and then he'd come back, and I mean, now look. I watched a film, so it's a, mm. you know, a dramatization of this. Um, but that was, mm. you know, this going away um, and then coming back. It's interesting because, you know, were people, were people more, oh, it's interesting now, this isn't it? It's, were people more steadfast in their relationship and where they stood in it and they didn't need the continual hit hit yeah to am i in it am i not am i in it am i not mm. you know um that we now get through what's up in your family yeah I mean, you know i'm the same thing i have all my families in in the uk mm. sorry i'm jumping at another um another potential um uh, societal shift in from these relationships that you described being in nice and neat containers yeah. conditioned to be the way that we think they should be um, rather than now, those containers are much more fluid, much more open, much more interpretable. Indeed. Right? Yes. And we're seeing that happen with, um, obviously, the gender discussion has definitely become a much more fluid, less binary thing. And that, that language is new for everyone. Um, you know, the way you know, family and friends structure is becoming less containered. And I think um, what I would have started questioning more is what's the underlying, like, where's the belief stem from? What, is, what have I been conditioned to believe about? For example, these 10 layers of family, what do they look like? When I think of what that layer is, what, where does that belief come from? Um, and so I wonder if maybe it's a, um, a global unpacking of what we know hmm. into a world where no, no one knows anything. It's total anarchy of beliefs, maybe. Hmm. That's both comforting and terrifying. Oh, it is. It is. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, okay. Then step well, now, back and now, in, now <laughs> into that thing of you know, or you know, all, all, all truth is universal. Yeah. Uh, no, sorry. All truth is relative, except for the fact that what you've just said is universal. Um, well, yeah, we were joking earlier with a friend, like, you know, is reality the same? Do we see yellow the same? You know. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, you could go out to that far, but mm. yeah, bringing it back, um, it is. But yeah, I think I think you raise an interesting point because play boundaries and containers are both yeah helpful and yet constraining in equal measures. When I think there are certain things that in our human development that we can't quite get away from which are when part of our earlier our our ego development includes understanding boundaries and where I finish where I start where I finish and Mm. where you start and where you finish and when that's not in place that's the that is when that's not in place in a healthy way that is the inception of narcissism because what you then have is um 
a view that the out me and the outside world are all one and therefore it serves me and I serve it and it's just mm. and I've spent an amount of time pursuing that topic in the podcast last year because I wrestled with oh yeah we're all one man we're all energy mm, no. and that and the other um, and everything's you know relatively definable but then that's helpful and not in equal measures. Mm. Um, whereas understanding healthy boundaries, not, not the content of the, what the boundaries is, but the mechanism of mm. the boundaries, so I can play with it, but then form it. Because if, if it remains boundary-less all the time, we'll just go around in circles mm. we'll just go backwards yeah i would maybe um boundaries is absolutely the correct word but another way i interpret it is etiquette and having moved mm. across cultures and operating in different social environments you have to figure out the norms only through trial and error and through kind of figuring yeah. out where those boundaries lie slightly different than the relationship with the ego internally but like yes. externally etiquette is a way to describe that um but I think a challenge with connection online is that those boundaries are not explicit, nor there's no explicit etiquette, and the right. boundaries are still undefined, untested, unknown. And so where's the, what is appropriate for me to comment on someone else's mm. thing? What are they, what's the boundary for me to share? You know, we're seeing those being pushed and, uh, you know, pushed back and, and moved. Like it's still, um, it's an entirely new social comment. So how do we, uh, you know, I think it's it's laughable that in the you know twenty years since the internet's become widely adopted that we would we would have it sorted. <laughs> yes. So how do we you know so you say boundaries, and I w I was going to ask you what how would you describe boundaries online? Um. Well, when you started talking about new etiquette online, one of the things that I one of those things that I feel um, online interacting lacks is a sense of consequence. Mm. Back to the imagination and the imaginary and I can be whomever. Yeah. You don't know who's actually behind the voice. Yeah. Mm. You know, there's, there's a certain sense of primal natural law whereby if you sat here and you were rude to me i would you would get a response mm. and it wouldn't just be symbols mm. and it wouldn't just be sound there's more in this interaction than just the sound and just the body language there's an energy to it mm. as well you know um, our nervous systems and everything are now mm. syncing up because we've sat here close enough, long enough. Mm. And, and there would be even a further level to it, which was if you were just downright rude, you know, there is, there is the very real consequence that I could slap you, mm. Mm. <laughs> for want of a better phrase. Mm. Right. And so whilst it is very primal, it exists. And, and should be respected and honored as well. I think sometimes you talk about energy and it gets woo woo. We don't need to talk about it. Lol, no, we do. It's very important. So I'm right Correct. there with you. Yeah. yeah. So what, what I find happens in online interaction is you've taken out the consequence because I, I can just hammer into you all day if I want mm. to. I can just... Hell, I can make a bot that hammers you every 30 seconds from now until, till, to, you know, whenever. Exactly. Yeah. But also, what else is going on there? Well, I could be, you know, you may well have triggered me to make me want to fucking give you the shit online. So now I'm projecting all this vim and vigor out on it, 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 onto... You, mm. you know, into the keyboard, into the video, whatever. Mm. And, and, and that comes from somewhere in our unconscious. Mm. 
that is your own stuff to deal with. Mm. This is, you know. But just to confirm, it de-escalates when you move it into smaller spaces. So someone's railing on a Facebook page, comment, yeah. post. You bring them into DMs, and it already de-escalates it. You give them a phone call, and it really de-escalates because it. Because you're so getting you bring closer. It... Exactly. So yeah. So just confirming. But you're just getting closer. Mm. And so yeah, but and to, yeah, and and then the ultimate is this mm. sitting up. So, but that in and of itself, even that little thought journey. Um, highlights different levels of quality connection. Mm. So um, pointing that out, let's look at the US. Um, lots of people who are at the US are in a full lockdown or have been self-isolating for a significant period of time. Their main interactions have been in that text-based distance way. Um, I keep asking myself, how will that change our our wiring or our psyche or our energetic transfer? Like yes. I'm concerned when I go home, last time I was home was two years ago. And so I was supposed to travel last year, mm. it didn't happen. Um, I'm concerned when I go back that my social norms will be very, very different than the social norms of like my family even. I have exactly the same challenge with my family in the UK, mm. the third like, will we go for a handshake and they'll be like, whoa, what the heck, you know, or we'll all, you know, I'll sit next to them on the couch, and... yeah, and they'll be like, oh, no. Um, and and, I, and I, I've been trying to name that, and I'm, I'm, I'm wary of naming it as a decline in empathy, because I think that, you know, if anything, it might be empathy fatigue or feeling too much, but it, it, is, it is a... It is a distance and isolation, a feeling of like something deadening and hardening in, in, in some of the peers I've been speaking to. And, and heck, just observing my time in isolation, you know, the, we only had two months last year and I became much more of an introvert than I've ever been and haven't really fully recovered in some ways. I mm. still prefer to, you know, I'll just stay in and read thanks. You know, it's a bit yeah. safer and more, more stable. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm very curious to see how forcing everyone into that distance environment mm where connection has those, you know, the anonymity that, you know, online allows and the lack of that energetic transfer that we get when we are physically together. Mm. Um, what that will do for society long term. Because, you know, and, and in some ways, like, I described COVID as an accelerator, not really a catalyst. It didn't really change anything. It just accelerated a lot of inevitable outcomes, flexible work, um, universal basic income, like, you know, how, how our how the market is structured and doesn't work for working people, you know, um, it's just accelerated a lot of these things, including, I think, the isolation of individuals into their online only environments. Hmm. You know, you read Ready Player One, and that's basically people live online in the imaginary universe and only get out of it to feed their physical self and then hop back into the virtual reality. Like, it's, you know, it's obviously informed by science fiction, but you can naturally see how that would progress. Hmm. Where does it progress? Oh, I mean, um, towards that. I mean, you see, um, towards... Um, uh, I think Generation Z gets a lot of backlash for not being able to have conversations person to person. I don't know if they'll need to value that or exist in that way in for 40 years. Um, I think they should. I think, well, not they, sorry. I think conversations and knowing how to interact as humans together in a room is valuable. But will it be necessary in the coming lifetime of humans? Don't know. Because, I mean, you can order your groceries online. You can have everything come to your house. Most of us have NBN now. Work can happen, all types of work remotely. Friendship groups are happening remotely. You can play video games and literally interact with friends in a very social environment in an open world setting. You know, like the, uh, so many qualities of life are satisfied online. Can't believe I'm making this case. I'm usually such a like in-person connection in humans, right? And now here I am making the case for like, yeah, but inevitably we, we well, the way we're going, we won't need it. And maybe it'll be, sometimes I wonder if it'll Certainly be- Certainly within the framework of consumerism, capitalism. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, and, and the fact that you're using words like not necessary. Yeah, true, yeah, yeah. What is, you know, it's not, it doesn't, it, it won't serve its productive outcome, thus it does not need to happen. And what is a productive, you know, what is productivity? Because only productivity has value. And, you know, to be transparent, 
that that reality that you've painted significantly jars with me <laughs> based on the based on the initiative which is this podcast where 95% of the podcasts have been in person and the Zoom ones have only really been coupled during our stay at home period and then to talk to some global thought mm. leaders on things because they're all at home. Mm. So that's how I got Yeah, the to, accessibility is quite... Yeah, amazing. because they're at home, because mm. they're not busy. Um, and that's how I got to speak to you know, narcissist experts and stuff, such and such. Um, but to go back to it, this, the 95% of in-person conversations are nourishing to me on a level I can't explain. And I'm not disagreeing. No, no, no. I'm just challenging that that is a bias that we might have being of a generation that remembers before phones. Mm. You know, I mean, you've seen the babies now getting a magazine and like trying to swipe the magazine and they're like, what, what's going on? Yeah. You know, like it's supposed to swipe. You know, like literally how, how, you know, how young people are gonna interact with the world. It's, you know, this is a, a watershed moment, you know? Mm. Um, unless it swings back and they realize, and they, and there is the, the realization of the value in this connection. And certainly like, I mean, from leadership and negotiation across countries and with resources, golly, I hope that people sit in a room around a table and speak plainly to each other because mm. that would solve a lot of things. <laughs> it comes to a, um, when I listen to that, particularly the babies there, it, to me, it comes to a, this is consciously where we've been leading because we've been present and in it, even if we've been asleep in mm. it, it's where we've been going. Mm. It, I just wonder how, whether there is a underlying creative um, pattern. Um, you know, I, recently been listening to people talk about the difference between like our made laws and natural laws and whether uh, if we are delving so far apart from one another I mean before we started mm. you gave me a, a, a you know here we are in the country um, so you're recognizing that there is a connection to land and there's something there that that will in effect play a part at bringing things back mm. is it only so far we can go with man's made systems oh i disagree because i think um uh nature is the greatest innovator that we have um yeah. and i think you see a lot of um uh, business speak going now to networked resilient organizations in systems ecosystems and you're like Nature has literally been doing this forever. It's us who put in the hierarchy yeah. with the boardroom and the, you know, top down, you know, and, and similarly in, um, you know, you know, all these different creatures can do these phenomenal things, you know, spiders, silk and ants carrying 25 times their weight or whatever the stats yeah, yeah, are, yeah. you know, like it's, we only have to look to nature and learn from nature to innovate. That, um, yeah. That's what I was saying. Sort of yeah. Saying, you know, as opposed to. I don't know. But I wonder what, what is the circuit breaker to get rid of, or to, um, yeah. to stop down this path? I mean, oh, lol. Okay, uh, one part of me is like patriarchy, mate. Like, boys, you had a chance, give it to the women. <laughs> like, but, um, but in a more real way, I wonder if COVID will accelerate us further down this path or be the circuit breaker, maybe, or yeah. be part of that process for well, moving away from such consumption-based systems. You called it an accelerator earlier on. Mm. Maybe we're actually accelerating to more circuit breakers than we realize. Mm. Yeah, the, um, can, the pressure cooker will create more. You know, we are now beginning to feel some very large fundamental underlying systems creak. Was it quarter of the US dollars were printed in the last 12 months. Mm. <laughs> How many 
different. Mm. You know? Well, and people, I mean, again, the U.S. And is such an example of people who are working three jobs are now m earning more on their welfare COVID payments than they were working three jobs. Like, it's not that they're lazy. No one should be working three jobs. No. Like, no. So that's what's broken. Correct. Yeah, anyway. It's out of control. Mm. And, and only with this as an accelerator or a mirror to show us that. However, I'm not seeing much tangible action because there is also such need and fear wrapped up in it that there's, you know, there's just, oh, I'm so thankful I have a job. Like, okay, yeah, but that narrative has been going on for like 10, 12, 15 years, putting the fear, fear of, into people that job is who they are and what they yes. need most. And, Linked to um, identity and without that you'll be nothing. Mm. It's, yeah, my heart breaks a lot, actually. Living in Australia is quite remarkable compared to the U.S. Because the U.S., like, um, I didn't know how bad it was till I moved to Australia. And you see how people can live prosperous lives with a high social floor, a high social safety net and a high floor for standard of living. Um, and just how many people are truly surviving in the U.S., barely surviving and that that is and yet it's still you come to Australia and people fetishize the US being like yeah, oh yeah. it's this amazing place and culture tell me all about it oh your accent da, 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 you know and you're like nah it's so far like the reality is so different from that in some ways and for so many and it takes moving from one culture to another mm. to see that contrast to see and recognize that contrast for me leaving the UK 10 years ago. I mean, y you would think that England to Australia, that'd be quite straightforward. Mm, mm. I mean, Literally both still answer the Queen, so. Yeah, like. exactly, you'd think that would be straightforward. No, no, not at all, mm. not at all. To start with, it was a lot more blunt and harder to live here and quite painful, but now, you know, when, when my, when you have your family say, why have you locked down for one case? Mm. And we're like, because it's one case. Mm. But we didn't lock down until, I was like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, well, we couldn't have done what you did, you know, locking borders up and things like, what do you mean you're on an island? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've just passed Brexit. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You could sandbag up the channel <laughs> and stop it all. Yeah. You, know? you literally did a whole thing about this, about isolating yourselves. Like, exactly. You know, yeah. And so... And so, yeah, and so now mm. it's like, you know, you see proactive leadership, um, you know, it, we're locking mm. down for five days. You know, was it right? Was it wrong? No, but it was, well, we don't know. But it was, it, it was action mm. and, it, and it happened quickly. You know, you know I, I end up in a, it's probably not one to open up now, but, um, you know, I end up in a debate sometimes with friends back at home where I say, you know, it's all very well leading the world in in vaccines, which the UK is, and but hanging out in lockdown for a year and waiting for a vaccine is not a plan. Mm. Well, it is, but it's a I would say it's a low quality one mm. compared to what do we need to do to be, you know, keep yeah. things out, keep thing, you know, keep mm. you know. Well, a function of, of 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 whether it's whether what we've done here has been helpful, good, productive is the fact that you've already said when you go back to America, you don't know how you're going to be able to interact because you've still lived a normal, healthy lifestyle compared to one that's been locked down. Mm. I mean... And what's um, actually, here's an, here's an interesting investigation. What, what, has, what has underpinned um, what has underpinned that being a happy, healthy lifestyle? Probably being out and about, oh. seeing friends and connecting and being present with people Actually, as well as. Yeah, I mean, yes. Um, and I mean, this is Greg's exactly where I was going to take it. Um, leadership hmm. um, and global leadership and how... Um, Oh, there's so much to say in this because it's a real lack of leadership that has led the US and the UK to be in those sort of cases. Um, or, what or, does lack of leadership look like for you? Yeah, I'm I quite, mean... I'm quite clear. But. Yeah, I mean... How would I describe it? Because I also think Australia has a lack of leadership not stepping into this, hey, Globe, check out, here's how you can do it at scale. Yeah. You know? Um, uh, I mean, a lack of leadership... Okay, so it's, it's deeper. Okay, it's not, it's not a simple answer. Um, 
in both in these countries is like the two-party system where all political parties are incentivized to rise to the top and then bash each other down thus disincentivizing them or disenfranchising themselves to themselves and to their you know citizens right so everybody hates everybody because that's how the system has been designed and so the failure of leadership is that it becomes this tit for tat in that environment rather than actual greater good values yeah. shared common ground best practice and the other and and um, I'm so trying is this to like the analogy of do you build your house bigger than your competitor or do you just work on smashing their house? A little bit. I don't know that analogy. Okay, well, we'll scrap that then. Okay. <laughs> Carry on, as you were. I was just going to say, because it's, um, I think um, the failure of leadership is, um, and I, th my friend said this phrase the other day, I'm trying to remember who it is so I can credit them. I'm so sorry if you're listening to this, but um, the, the failure of leadership is not, is not, um, is by not doing best practice and instead doing nationalist practice. So the U.S. says, right. oh, yeah, that's great that Dutch people can live in a healthcare that's, you know, Scandinavia has a family policy that's, you know, world class. Too hard for the U.S. We're different in the U.S. It wouldn't yes. work here. Yes. That's a nationalist lens on best practice. Yes. So I think leadership should be looking at best practice globally and implementing it for the good of people and yes. the environment and, you know, the four P's, purpose, planet, profit, people, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. Sort of yeah. Yes. What is what does the best look like? This is what we should do. Mm. And yes, that involves change. And yes, that means you're going to have to move and or, or internally well, or externally. And the mover, I mean, particularly in the US, um, uh, corporates and, and money influencing lobbying certainly influences so much decision making. And so, you know, and so no wonder it's, it's gone for the, the, the lowest dollar and highest profit in that system because best practice it doesn't, it can't be manipulated in that way. No. How does that get a circuit break? Oh, after Citizens United, it's really tough. And the thing that, I mean, and like the progressives have had to, but progressives have had to rise to the occasion and also form their own PACs and 501c3s and 4s. Like it's, it's just gone to be like, uh, it's an arms war in some ways, um, money on both sides of politics. And it's, um, I mean, uh, publicly funded campaigns would be an obvious place to start. You can only spend a quarter of a million dollars on your campaign or two million dollars or whatever. Yeah, I think this last election, were they like 50 million or some some double digit millions spent on? I should look that up. I should know how much was spent, but it was extraordinary yeah. high levels. Is it really a fact you want in your head? <laughs> yeah, I want to have it for this moment when I can be armed with the uh, evidence. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. Um, yeah, I, it's it's a self-perpetuating system, right? Because in that capitalist and consumption frame, you know, it's like you're you're putting money towards a thing that you believe is good, so that it can create things which, you know, spend money on these things. I don't know. I feel like that system is bro. Yeah, it's it doesn't it's corrupt, but I don't. I can't. I can't figure out how to fix it <laughs> from over here as well. <laughs> Oi. U.S. do it different. Is it fix or is it let that pass? But what is, what's the mechanism for change, right? Like the polys yeah. are not incentivized to change it. And we're about to go into all out civil war where one side is armed to the teeth and the other side is armed not at all and barely can agree to get on the same side of stuff. So like uh, it ends poorly. <laughs> and so the adult in the room or a strategic mind like myself is like, surely we can just sit down and figure this out. Like, um, but yeah, <laughs> that's the idealist in me coming out and very optimistic, I'm very hopeful that that is the path, but yeah, I don't think it'll happen. Yeah. There's also, and like, and fairly, there's so many underlying difficulties globally with disin with systemic disenfranchisement, you know, judgment and disenfranchisement of people. And so hmm. how many systems can we dismantle in one afternoon conversation? We've done a few. Yeah. Patriarchy, class, you almost got to race. Supermarkets. Yeah, supermarkets. Oh, on that, I just had a tiny one. Because, like, the thing you said about, like, tomatoes, for example, you know, they're bred to look a certain way, but they taste like sawdust. It's kind of this, like, superficial 
um, again, conditioning to go for something that's optically pretty. This is very the Instagram, the here's the shiny on the outside, whereas the actual taste is, is missing. And like ugly vegetables usually come from actual organic farms, you know, sort of thing where, where like love and sun has put and put into them. Yes. Um, and so I think that that's an interesting, that's an analogy I'm going to play with a bit more to, mm. to express that difference. Yes. And warehouse have we seen people fixated with illusions? Mm. Boundaryless. Yeah, it's hard, like bringing it back to us, right? Like it's great yeah. to talk about all these things, but like I, I always, I'm like, well, Emma, what are you really doing in your life? Like, sure, I have a worm farm, so I recycle like maybe half of my food scraps, but I still consume, you know, my husband and I consume an entire trash can of trash every fortnight, right? So like, so like, what am I doing about it? Well, I'm still chugging along, you know? And so it's, um, of course, be patient with yourself and take the steps you can, but um they, they are so big and so overwhelming and behavior changes. It can be extraordinarily traumatic. Hmm. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, I've had well, trauma, trauma, actually trauma is a feature of something you were mentioning earlier on. I'll just pop this in quickly in that you talk about what is it going to be like when the US and the UK you're allowed back. It, you know, mm. the, the fear of another lockdown is subsided. Uh, being told, to, you know, having your whole way of life stopped and being told you want to stay inside um, because of whatever, whether it's, you know, uh, an invading force or an invading molecule or, you know, it is traumatic, right? And any event of that nature means that whilst you're in that traumatized, you're going, you're going to close, right? Your sympathetic nervous system is going to fire up. You're going to be scanning, you'll be hypervigilant, you'll be looking for threats. We are not going to be into exploratory conversations with people about what could happen and where could we go and how calls, you know, it's today mm. and it's that. And that is going to take a lot of time to do that and open up again when you go home, when I go home, we're probably going to be quite traumatizing because mm. it's like, fuck, Emma, Bryn, they're like what I remember I used to be. So there will be sadness around that. Well, and it will but, be, it'd be traumatizing. Or it'll be, I, I just, that's just too much. And just, no, mm. or like, but I mean, a positive out of this is that um, consent for um, getting in each other's spaces has become so much more explicit and known. And as a woman, like I'm very thankful for that, you know, because yeah. how many um, situations are you forced into um, a handshake or a, a, you know, a kiss or a hug at a networking event and you haven't met someone and you feel awkward and like yet those oh, boundaries like aren't the hug explored. I you at the door. Um, and it's, but it, no, but it is, it's a, it's an, it's an opportunity for, like for consent to become an explicit practice across all of our social interactions, yes. which I think, it um, back it, to nice, it's the invitation. It? Yeah. Hmm. Cause I think that's, um, and, um, I think those of us with privilege from educated, predominantly white backgrounds, um, consent doesn't feel like it applies to us because of course we're the nice ones or whatever. Um, and I think it's a really good check on our privilege to understand that that mm. consent. And so I, I, you know, I, I'm, yes, it will be traumatizing going over there and, and being like, look at how vibrant I am and things as well. <laughs> and the like challenge for me will remember to, to remember to step into a respectful space of consent and asking my friends and family like, Hey, what are you okay with? Cause the norms have obviously changed. Um, and, and even now I'm just more aware of the norms, even if they have changed or not, it's still, mm. um, yeah, boundaries. Yeah. That's exactly it. Boundaries and so connection and boundaries. Hey, that's an interesting theme that's coming up. Um, mm. I wonder if it ties. Like, there's a lovely phrase I always think of. Like, um, in order for a kite to fly, it must be tied down. So, with um, constraints and discipline, enables creativity and imagination. So is where in the context that I read it. But I wonder if boundaries and connection, having boundaries, allows us to connect as our full selves because we have established pathways that are comfortable for us to, to be fully who we are without um, expectation. 
Welcome to my TED talk. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I was spawned here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've already given the TED talk, so I'm in my second TED talk. There you go. Yeah, sorry. You just got to get it down to what? 18 minutes. 10 words or less? Oh, no, 12 minutes. 10 probably. 12 minutes. That's a 10 minute then, idea. Yeah, and then you've got to do all the hand signals with it, which mm. gets quite robotic. Um, <laughs> there you go. Enjoyed this conversation. Where to for here? Yeah. Um, yes, I um, I have quite a lot of thoughts banging around in my head. I am fortunate enough to have a group of friends where I get to have these conversations regularly and my ideas um, grow and develop at quite an iterative and rapid rate. So I'm really thankful for that. I'm always thankful for um, new platforms to share these ideas and new mm. people to speak with. Um, have I enjoyed this conversation? <laughs> Is that right if you say no? No! <laughs> I am, I, I, I'm questioning, uh, um, this is interesting, I have my first pro, co, pro, bleh, podcast experience and like I think having conversations for the sake of conversing is important and something I, you know, but I'm so used to structuring conversations towards a goal or towards an objective or in a direction which I, is part of a theory of change. And so it's interesting to be having a free-form conversation in a semi-structured and public way without those underlying objectives. Mm. I think that's the, the part where I'm questioning, like, have I enjoyed it? I'm like, well, has this been really an efficient use of my time towards the greater good and towards my passion? Like, you know, or whatever. Um, yes, I think. Mm. It's been interesting because... <laughs> it's like uh, an overanalyzed answer. <laughs> it is. And... Um, it's been interesting conversing with you because I have felt that, mm. you know, as I have openly moved the podcast towards what I refer to as uh, emergent conversations, which means that, you know, if you'd seen the amount of notes that I had for the first 30, 40, 50 episodes, well, they were on a mini iPad mm. and be like scrolling and do, 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 do. but now they just get less and less and less and and it's a faith in it's a faith in human connection and conversation that something will emerge and it's no more difficult than that mm. and without the pressure of so what does this mean yeah objective. Where does this have to go you know, it's interesting. Sorry, oh, yeah. I just want to riff off that really quickly because without objective, we can actually settle into um, the conversation flow, which is a bit of an art that's been lost. Like, how do you deeply and genuinely listen, not just to speak next is the obvious trait, but also not to like hedge the conversation in a direction you want to go. I mean, I did that a bit today where I'm like, here's a here's a thing I want to take us to, and it's a bit of a dog turn. But like, you know, listening for the flow of the conversation and what, what's the what's not being said and where to go to in that sense. Mm. And so without objective, it allows us to settle into the, the free form yes. and the deeper listening. Mm. Mm. And it allows the conversation as a third party to go somewhere mm. rather than, so I need to put my bit in and then you need to put your bit in. Yeah, passing, has, yeah. Yeah, playing tennis. Here you go, here you go, here you go, here you go. And there's also, uh, our minds like endings. We like things to come from a start to a finish. You know, mm. if I was to, I said this before, if I was to throw this pen up in the air, your, your whole perception of it will be ill at ease until such time as it's returned back to my hand again. It's like, because it's, now it's journey, it's finished. Mm. And so we like, particularly in our rational Western Anglosphere um, culture, we mm. like start finishes and endings. Containers, known Containers, journeys, yeah. Which, Again, you know, recognize that, nice boundaries, containers, mm. but then recognize that that butts up against another one, which butts up another one. Um, you know, I put out a funny meme the other day on, on Instagram about woman who decides to live in the moment was disappointed by the fact that other moments got in the way. <laughs> It is, I mean, it is difficult having a free-form day with no plan in some ways. Why is that, Emma? Yeah, well, I mean, I, um, I've gotten better. I've been practicing that over the last year and a half intentionally. So I've been practicing, but it's, um, it probably, yeah, because 
um, that underlying, um, I am only valuable if I'm being productive. Mm, you know, there's a story. Yeah, there's a huge story. And then we've been conditioned to believe that, feel that, and live that, live to that expectation. So if I spend a Saturday with no plan, what am I going to do? And, and I'm now interpreting that question into that deeper, well, how I'm reinterpreting that question to be a motivator for me to, to do the things that interest me is who, who am I, how am I choosing to use my time? That we were we were around that right mm. at the start of this conversation, when the circuit breaker forced us to be with ourselves. Mm. I don't know how to manufacture that for, and it's also like you know, I don't know how to manufacture that for people, and I don't know how to scale it, and I don't know how um, to. I don't think you can force people into that place. It can only arrive themselves, and so like. I think COVID has been helpful in getting whomever was like the low hanging fruit into that journey. Um, and I don't know what percentage of the population that is, you know, like it's something, I don't know, I'm sure you worry about this as well. Like how much in the minority am I as someone who doesn't watch a lot of TV, reads a lot of books, has a lot of conversations like, all right, how, you know, is it only 10% of us, 3%, 40%? No idea. Mm. I've surrounded myself in that bubble. And now you, know, you go out and you see other bubbles and you're like oh that's how the other half lives <laughs> not quite that's mm. really interesting mm. so the last question i ask all my guests mm. is it's a hypothetical one mm. which is if you could upload one question into the collective consciousness so everyone just sat quietly for five or ten minutes and considered it or journaled it out what would that be Flipping me was like crunchy or smooth peanut butter. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I think we've we've posed a number of good questions today. Um, um, in the um, a lot of my friends are, you know come to me for advice when trying to seek purpose driven work, and in the context of um, if AI takes away all the the, if, if machines and AI take away all the basic stuff that humans do and it frees up a whole bunch of the job market, people will be left with that question, what do I do that I love? You know, like what, what does purpose work look like for me because I don't need to do these grunt tasks. The question I always put forward is what am I uniquely positioned to do? So it's both like what am I uniquely positioned, who you are, where you come from, what interests you, what you surround yourself with, your influence of power, and then to do are the things you love doing that you're good at that you, you know, th thrive with. Um, so that's the question I always put forward. It's kind of a cheek because I'm using one I already use a lot, but I'll go with that one. In the, in the, in the hopeful endeavor that someday, yeah, all humans can do purpose-driven work and we can all just contribute in this generosity economy where we're doing things we love and so everything is cared for. Like that's the opposite of consumerism and this, you know, consumption-based environment that we're in, a generosity hmm. system. Boy, do we feel far from that sometimes. But other times we feel very close to it. So buy nothing groups, a great method of generosity systems. Yeah. Anyway. It's been fascinating talking to you today. Yeah. I've really valued it. Mm. Same, same or different from a lot of your talk. I'm sure you get lots of different people, so. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very difficult to describe, uh, yeah. to compare mm. to, and, and as I said, because of the emerging nature of they the all adapt. Yeah, yeah, of the podcast itself, mm. you know, compare this to episode five, as I've terribly picked, completely worlds apart. Mm. Yeah. It's been um, great to be present in the conversation. Mm. Yeah, same. It's always fun to bash ideas with, um, and fellow, like I um, really appreciate you obviously have sp spoken to quite a lot of thought leaders because you have um, very lovely turns of phrase and like summaries of big complex ideas, which mm. I always appreciate sort of, because obviously in talking to experts and being around that environment and learning and thinking through it yourself, only then can you think, say it simply. Mm. So I've always, I always appreciate sharing space with people who are like, yeah, yeah, we can sum up that concept with six words and we're moving on. Okay, great. You know, like it's uh, yeah, quite yeah. fun. Because we did that in another, because we've done that. I've gone a, on that process. Because we've, we've done that in another podcast mm. for an hour and a half there. Mm. So we're not going to do the other hour and a half again. Mm. Super. Yeah. So people want to find you and they want to. 
Um, I have a website, emmagibbons.com, G-I-B-B-E-N-S, um, with a form and an email. Um, Facebook, Instagram, Emma Gibbons, not O-N-S. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it will be hopefully correctly spelled in the title of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm still trying to figure out what I'm, who I am and what I do, so don't judge my uh, platforms for not having consistent messaging or, you know, mm. branding. I, I'm actively embracing the gray in that space and not trying to put myself forward as Emma Gibbons, bloody, bloody, bloody expert, you know, well, trying to be emergent in that own, in that thing. <laughs> yes, because it is an emerging thing, mm. our identity and what have you. Mm. How we participate in the world. And it's also like for someone like me who's done, again, I have a, I have a portfolio of strange experiences as my career, um, you know, I struggle between saying the thing I want to say is what I do and what people will understand or what's the nice box that people can put it into. Um, you know, it's sort of balancing between so those two. you can open up the conversation to where you want it to go. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so. Thank you so much to, for your time. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Give us another hug. Yeah. I'm inviting the hug this time.